This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. This is the Mark Madden Unfiltered Podcast from the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting edition of the Mark Madden Podcast here on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Don't forget, bet now from anywhere. Uh, we're in mourning because Franco Harris passed away, an all-time Pittsburgh Steeler great, the key protagonist in the Immaculate Reception, a turning point in Steeler history. Franco had a big advantage in terms of notoriety because, A, his name, Franco, one name, like Pele, Madonna, etc. And uh, B, he had that fro, classic fro. He didn't need to color it in with Sharpie or whatever gets used. Uh, joining me now is uh, my broadcast partner, Tim Benz. Tim, uh, your thoughts on the passing of Franco, and uh, where does he rank on your Steeler all-time list? As far as Steelers of the 70s, to me, he was probably third after Bradshaw and Mean Joe, but that was just me as a kid. I guess in terms of importance, you probably have to elevate him in front of Bradshaw because he came first and because it was such a run-dominated team early. Well, no, he didn't come before Bradshaw. Bradshaw was drafted before him, Uh, but the Steelers started winning, and more important, given the way the franchise had been before, they stopped losing when Franco got there. Right, exactly. And that was a Dan Rooney line, and he was right about that. And it was such a run-based team early that made the offense good enough to be with the steel curtain in stride to get to the first two Super Bowls. And And, and the way the rules were then, too. I mean, the rules were literally changed because of guys like Mel Blunt not letting receivers get off the line. But it, but it says a lot about those Steelers. They adapted and and really became a passing team for the last two Super Bowl wins. Exactly, and that's when Bradshaw and Swan and Stallworth really became superstars under themselves. People forget Stallworth played all the way until 1984, made actually made a Pro Bowl in 84, I think played a couple of years beyond that, uh, because they peaked a little bit later in the ascent of the team, and they came along in, what, 74. Some of those guys were still in that 84 team that went to the AFC uh, Championship game. But, yeah, it's, it's, you know... I think, Mark, when you look at Franco's career, everybody associates it with the Immaculate Reception. Although you could say that his biggest day, his single most important game, came two years later in Super Bowl Nine. Yeah, when he was the MVP, rushed for over 150 yards, got a touchdown. Um, yeah, if, if not for him, they don't win that game. Sometimes when you pick a most valuable player, 
It's tough to single a guy out. Franco on that day was definitely most valuable. But uh, but still, more people are going to remember the Immaculate Reception. It's more blessing than curse, but it, it does obscure some of his other accomplishments. To a degree, yes. And the funny thing about it is so many other great games for him and the Steelers, you know, in the AFC playoffs ended up getting them to Super Bowls. That didn't even get them past the next week because the 72 Dolphins, the unbeaten Dolphins, beat them the next week. Um, Franco had great moments in the Super Bowls, scored touchdowns in the Super Bowls, uh, especially 13 and 14 had clutch runs in the Super Bowls. You know, I, honestly, Mark, a lot of people say one of the biggest moments in his career was in his absence. What happened in 76 with that great Steelers defense, maybe the best defense they ever had. That team didn't get to the Super Bowl because it lost the AFC playoffs to the Raiders when he and Rocky both got hurt in the previous game. And Booby Harrison, who always said he could run better than Franco and Rocky, got his chance, and he didn't. Uh, where's the Immaculate Reception rank among Pittsburgh's all-time sports moments? Uh, I-, I just can't put it ahead of Mazeroski's home run, but it's but it's a strong number two. I think it would only be in front of Mazeroski's home run for me because of the importance and the staying power of the Steelers as opposed to what the Pirates aren't anymore. And the storytelling and the narrative of the Steelers is more of a constant thread to the current generation because the Pirates have been dormant for so long. Yeah, but as a moment unto itself, Mazeroski, one swing of the bat, the only walk-off home run in, in Game 7 in World Series history, and it was arguably the biggest upset in World Series history. And I know what you've been saying about that, and for the generation that was, you know, adolescent or older in 1960, Baseball was still king back then, but football is king now, and I think the actually the Immaculate Reception was part of the reason why it got there. Oh, no, the Immaculate Reception was the moment football and the Steelers became king in Pittsburgh. I'm just not sure that that outdoes what Mazeroski did in In terms of sports importance, Mazeroski's play, was or his homer, was the most important ever because it ended a Game 7. Well, you know, you know what hurts the Mazeroski home run in terms of of the way it's remembered, and it helps the Immaculate Reception. The Immaculate Reception is all over, you know, everything the NFL ever does, nostalgia-wise. You know, you see it on the NFL Network, you know, a million times. I mean, certainly right now because of Franco's passing, but it's always been a big play, you know, to not just the Steelers, but to the entire league. I think it was voted the most significant play in NFL history, whereas the Mazeroski home run, you never hear about that because it beat a New York team. The home run that we we see all the time is the shot heard around the world, the 1951 playoff home run, or the Kirk Gibson home run. And you got to keep in mind, sort of to that end, New York teams, especially back before the day of ESPN and cable television, like they were network, they were nationwide, and the NFL, especially in the post Super Bowl era has never needed to rely on a market. Every market matters in the National Football League, basically. So the Steelers for the 70s, along with the Cowboys, became the New York teams. Green Bay was the New York team before that. San Francisco became the New York team after that. I know what you mean, like the team that people followed nationally, that had had fans beyond... Uh, their area code. So it launched the Yankees of the 70s in the more important sport, and that was the Steelers. Uh, the Pro Bowl participants got named, and I was laughing at you know the debate over who made it and who didn't. For example, the Steelers, T.J. Watt made it, and 
Alex Highsmith in, but what's the difference? It's a flag football game with a skills competition. It's not a real football game. Does it mean anything anymore beyond contract bonuses? I'm just hoping T.J. Watt doesn't find a way to hurt his ribs in it, for crying out loud. That's the only thing I care about. Um, No, now more than ever, it should be by invite and who the league deems to have the highest Q rating, because what does it matter? It's not to show off your skills. Well, they just shouldn't bother having it. That's That's what they should do is just cancel it for good. I agree. I mean, this is nothing that I'm going to watch. I don't know how the defensive players or how the linemen or, frankly, even the running backs get involved in this. This strikes me as it's going to be nothing but a wide receiver and defensive back competition and maybe the quarterbacks, too, who can throw the ball into the bucket most often or something. Watt and Minka made it from the Steelers. That's Well, Watt didn't deserve it. He got in on rep. Minka deserved it, but but picking both is so cliche. Agreed. Um, And it just shows... No creativity. I don't really haven't sunk my teeth into how many other pass rushers should be upset that Watt is there. But like I said before, I mean, unless you're unless you're naming an All Pro team and Watt is on it and he wouldn't be there, then there's no reason to get upset because this is just a made-for-TV event and you're going to invite stars. Yeah, but I, I like the Steeler fans bellyaching because Highsmith didn't make it and Watt did, but they weren't both going to make it. I mean, I mean, the Steelers are 6-8, and eight, and again, there's no real game, so what's the difference? Now, moving on to the gambling portion of the podcast, Tim, I think it's the time of year where it's tougher to bet on NFL games because the games start not mattering to some teams, and it's also a dicey time of year for fantasy football as well because as a bunch of people pointed out on Twitter, you know, right now is when you're having your playoffs for Fantasy League, and Jalen Hurts is being held out because the Eagles are so far out in front in their division and they don't need to risk playing an injured Jalen Hurts against the Dallas Cowboys, which, of course, puts guys who have Hurts in Fantasy League in a in a bit of a pickle. It does. I've seen that happen before in Fantasy. It usually doesn't happen in this direction. Usually it happens in the other direction, which is you've got a player who's got an ankle sprain that might keep him out a week. He's on a bad team why not shut him down? Or this guy's going to ha- decide to have surgery and shut down this year because his team isn't going to make it. And hey, why not do it from the real franchise's perception because then you move up in the draft. Um, it usually happens in that direction more than the Hertz direction. The Hertz thing is just indicative of how much of a lead they've got in the division and how secure they are in their standing. Usually that's not the case. Usually you see at least one team this far out biting at the leader of the division, and that's just not the case in their division. Uh, In that vein, before we get to some of these games, Tim, were you surprised that Ben Roethlisberger said on his podcast that Pickett should shut it down for the year based on having had two concussions? That strikes me as ludicrous and ill-informed by Ben because... You know, once you recover from a concussion, you were no more susceptible to future concussions. At least that's what we're told. And doesn't Pickett need snaps? Aren't the snaps and the experience worth the risk at this point? I think so. In fact, I thought that was part of the logic of shutting him down, making sure he didn't play in that most recent game against the Panthers. Because it's more important to be sure you've got him healthy for 12 quarters of football as opposed to four. Right. That's what I thought. And... You know, as far as the concussion thing, Ben got hit by a car, had certainly a concussion then, came back, had two more concussions in the 2006 season, and kept playing. <laughs> so, like, you know, and he was fine for the next how many years after that, and probably had he had a couple concussions here and there, but nothing close to as severe. Um, you know, we've seen it with Sidney Crosby. 
once you have significant enough time to rest and let the wound, the brain heal, then I think that's the bigger deal than, say, for instance, studying three weeks versus two of rest. So, I mean, I, I guess I get where Ben is coming from from the injury standpoint, but I think that's what their point of view was. Make sure he's healthy and has time to heal for the extra week so we can get three weeks of work out of him as opposed to risking one and then losing three. How on earth are the Steelers two-and-a-half-point favorites at home against Oakland? I know they're both 6-8, and eight, and the Steelers just won last week, but, but so did Oakland, Oakland, Las Vegas, uh, with that ridiculous lateral uh, blowing up in New England's face to gift the Raiders that victory. But I think Oakland's a bad matchup for the Steelers. Oakland's a quick Oakland. I keep saying Oakland. Las Vegas is a quick strike team. I mean, who's going to cover Devontae Adams? The Raiders are a terrible matchup for the Steelers. They're a terrible matchup for the Steelers when the Steelers are good and the Raiders are bad. Whether it's been in Oakland, Vegas, Los Angeles, it doesn't matter. The Raiders give the Steelers fits. This team has the ability to go deep with at least one wide receiver, if not two. Their tight end has back, gotten back into the fold. Renfro's gotten back into the fold, their possession slot guy. Carr looks like an all-pro every time he plays the Steelers. And then you got Jacobs. They loaded up to stop the run against Carolina because they could, and it worked. If they do that to try to slow down Jacobs, well, then Carr and the wide receivers and the tight end, they're going to go crazy. I can't believe the spread is what it is. If you had said that there was a massive shift in the line because Franco passed away and you played on the emotion angle and the whole theory and never oh, get... Uh, Tim, for the, the interruption, I had to laugh. I was seeing how Benny Snell uh, said they got to win this one for Franco. The running back's got to come through. How much do you think Benny Snell knows about Franco Harris? And, and more accurately, how much do you think he knew about it before he passed? I don't. I can't speak for Benny Snell because I never talked to him. I can't speak for Dan Moore, the offensive tackle, when we were talking to him about the immaculate reception in the locker room. It was like he had heard it referenced for the first time three or four days ago. You know, he was saying Frank. Like he's struggling with Franco's name. What's his name? Franco. Franco. Yeah, we've met him. That guy, Franco. You know, so like this is this was not top of mind until forty eight hours ago for the Steelers and. To finish the point, I, I don't think the emotion factor is going to come into play as much as people are making it out. I just think the Steelers lose because the Raiders are better, and I've seen them lose all the time to the Raiders when the Raiders have been worse, much worse. They always lose to the Raiders, and the Raiders this time, I think, are the better team. Yeah, that's my pick of the week. I, I Not Oakland, Oakland, again. Uh, Las Vegas to not only cover, but, but win that game out right now. On Monday night, we got the L.A. Chargers. Uh, given four and a half points at Indianapolis. Can this Chargers still be a factor this year? Tim, I bet on them uh, via Bet Rivers to win the Super Bowl before the season started. And they just can't get it going. They're no. they're always hurt. They 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 just haven't been able to rev it up at all. The biggest factor I think they can be is just making the playoffs and making things difficult for maybe the number two or three seed, depending on where they land. Um, that's as much as I think they're going to do. I don't see them pulling off a road upset as a wild card, especially yeah, if they they're go- not going to beat Buffalo or... Uh, uh, right. Uh, well, let's say let's say Buffalo is the number Cincinnati, one seed. Cincinnati, yeah. I don't think they'll beat, you know, Kansas City, any of those teams. Theoretically, they could, if they were to somehow be the top wild card and go on the road and play Jacksonville or Tennessee as the South champ, who would be the four, I could see them winning that game but I can't see them winning as the six or the seven 
at KC, Cincy, or Buffalo? I'll tell you a game I would bet on right now. NFC playoffs, it's going to be Dallas at Tampa Bay. I'd bet on Tampa Bay to win outright. Because you think Dallas is just going to go in there fold and Brady's going to have one last stand or yes. what? Yes, yeah. all of the above, yeah. Um, Boy, Tampa is so bad, though. I mean, it's just it's an ultimate indication. I don't of think division. Dallas is that good. I, I, think I don't Dak, think Dallas is that good, but I think Tampa is terrible. Dak, Dak is a brand name. Dallas is a brand name. Not a good quarterback, not a good football team. Agreed, and I think that's part of the reason why we were talking at the outset about Jalen Hurts and the willingness to rest him is what kind of a threat really is Dallas. And for as much as the NFC looks deep because they're going to have a bunch of playoff teams, I don't know how good any of those teams are. Let me me put it this way. I wouldn't pick any of those teams going into Minnesota to beat the Vikings, and and I probably wouldn't pick any of those teams going to San Francisco to beat the Niners even. And Maybe Brock Purdy's still the quarterback, and you figure that pixie dust has to wear off eventually. You could throw that out there, but uh, I I would make the Niners or the Vikings a favorite over any of the NFC East teams. Uh, And in that vein, uh, the game this week is Philadelphia getting five points at Dallas, and that's that spreads because Jalen Hurts is hurt. I think Dallas wins just because Philadelphia has no reason to and don't have Jalen Hurts. Uh, you think Dallas wins because for them it's become relatively meaningless? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I, I just think, you know, Philly's resting Jalen Hurts. I think that kind of takes the edge off. I, I think Dallas wants to prove they can play with Philadelphia, even if it would be an outlier with Hurts not playing. I can see some merit to that, but I could all, you know, Minshew's a decent backup and. I, I kind of like that number there, honestly. I, 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 if you're going to give me the points, I'll take the points. Two kind of interesting games. Washington getting seven at San Francisco and the New York Giants getting four at Minnesota. I keep wanting to say Minnesota's a fraud despite my bet on Kirk Cousins with MVP. And then they come from way behind to beat Indianapolis down 33 down at the half. Where do you stand on the Vikings right now? I think they're the second best team in the East. I think they'll cover that number. Um, I I do like them. Second best team. In Sorry, the- second best team in the NFC. Second really? Best, uh, yeah. Better than San Francisco. I think they're better than San Francisco wow. because actually, as crazy as it sounds, I trust Cousins in the playoffs more than Purdy. Even though Cousins doesn't have a big game track record, because I just don't know what Purdy's going to be in a playoff situation. Can Purdy get San Francisco to a Super Bowl? No, I don't think so. You think that's impossible? Yeah, because at some point they're probably going to have to go through Minnesota or and or. Philadelphia. If they get through one, I don't see them getting through the other. Do you think San Francisco thinks it's impossible? And even if they do, what can they do? He's what they got. Yeah, they don't have another option. It's ride or die with him and, you know, hope you stumble into, like, I don't know, a Jeff Hostetler kind of story and wind up in the Super Bowl, but I don't see it happen. I think it's Philadelphia versus one of the big three in the AFC, probably Casey or Buffalo. Is Brock Purdy better than Kenny Pickett? No. Right now he is. He's playing better. Playing better. He's on a better team. Yeah. I mean, what would you think of Kenny Pickett if he was on the Niners? With that offensive line, that game plan, and that running attack? I think he'd be very ordinary. I just think he's ordinary. I think he would be winning at the same clip that Garoppolo, Purdy, and Trey Lance. Oh, no, he wouldn't be winning at the same clip as Garoppolo. Garoppolo's a winner. People are so quick to dismiss him. I think... If you look at Purdy and his success, it's kind of indicative that the system is as much anything in San Francisco as the quarterbacks. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm just not that high on Pickett. But, uh, hey, he's going to get some more snaps here. We'll see if he gets better. Uh, Tim, we're in the middle of college bowl season. Is there any bowl game worth betting on? I think too many players pulled out, uh, you know, outside of the 
the playoff games, the college football playoff. I mean, look at Pitt. Look at all the guys who aren't playing at the Sun Bowl. Yeah, and it's funny to me about that is how many times did you hear Kevin Colbert say, we saw him in his bowl game and, and this is even before the trend of everybody defecting to the pros occurred. This is, you know, I'm I'm going back years where you always hear Colbert and Cower and Tomlin on draft night talk about, well, we saw him in his bowl game against so-and-so and he did X, Y, and Z, guys that they picked. There are guys on Pitt right now that I think are going to be like, third-round draft choices, fourth-round draft choices that have a chance to move up. Because oh, no, no question. I think that if you were a first-round pick or a second-round pick projected, yeah. you should pull out of your bowl game. If you're any lower than that, you should put more success on videotape. I think so, too. Um, you know, I, If somebody... I don't know who is a lock to be a fifth-round selection that's a lock to go at all. You know, at what point do those projections get too murky? I think, like you said, it's anything after the second round. And there's, and there's something to be said for being picked in the second or third round versus being picked on the third day. So I, I'm with you. I, I think that's I think that's entirely accurate. Now Pitt, as we said, is playing in the Sun Bowl at El Paso, and Tim in El Paso, which is right by the Mexican border, they are dealing with hundreds, even thousands, of new illegal immigrants every day. I mean, Tim, talk about the transfer portal. <laughs> Well, maybe some of them could play for Pitt. Well, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Narduzzi should recruit them and then they'd eventually leave. Uh, just have them all be quarterbacks, and then the next quarterback that comes from Western Pennsylvania that went elsewhere first, he can bring them back. Is college football ruined? There's so many victims in this. Um, with, with the transfer portal and with the NIL money. Uh, like, like, for example, what about the kid who... You know, it was a backup for two years, and he's being groomed to be, you know, the next starter at whatever position. And then somebody just transfers in because it's so easy now and, and cuts him off at the pass. The whole thing about it being ruined because you don't recognize who the players are and you don't recognize the depth chart. To me, college football is the ultimate sport of your route for the laundry. Like, you know, I can't tell you well, that. It has to be now. Yeah, it has to be now, but I'm saying before that. I mean, I long before NIL, long before the transfer portal, it didn't help that they stunk for a while, but I couldn't tell you the starting 22 on Syracuse. I went there. You know, and, and before that, I couldn't tell you the starting 22 on Pitt for 15 years. Like, you know the helmet, you know the the jerseys, you know the oh, fight yeah, no, song. No, I get it from the fan standpoint, but but I still, I don't, I still think there's too much movement. But, but from the kid's standpoint, I mean, even high school seniors, now, you know... You're you don't know only, who to trust. Right, right, because they could just bring somebody in from another school. Right. You know, you're not only thinking about who they're recruiting that's in your high school graduating class, but who they're recruiting from the last two and three graduating classes who went to other schools first. Well, this is what I've long said about the freedom of movement in college. Two things about it. The first, which is, we talk about how great it is that they have this freedom, but... They don't have any obligation either. Like, there's no contract. You know, we gripe about the coaches leaving all the time. We've done that. We've said it's hypocritical that the coaches can leave and the kids can't. True, but somebody has to buy them out. Now, is the next step of NIL going to be you got to buy that kid out of his NIL with the previous school to get him to transfer? Well, if, if they had only given the kid a stipend, like 20000 a year back when, none of this would have happened. It would have happened. It just would have happened twenty years ago. No, you know, no, no. We'd be no, further down the tracks. If you know, if you gave each kid a twenty thousand dollars stipend per year in addition to his room, board, and education, and and you made him sign a commitment, 
that would you'd contract them in there for for money. You know what I mean? I think when any new rules get in place, there are always loopholes to get around, and it's the wild, wild west for a while. We are now dealing with that which we should have dealt with when it was more likely to be contained and easier to be contained. To your point, twenty years ago, it's on steroids now, and we're dealing with the ramifications and the ripple effect, but. You know, I still think it comes down to where's the TV money coming from, and if eyeballs are on sets because they recognize the scarlet and gray of Ohio State or the maize and blue of Michigan, then college football will be okay. Well, yeah, but with the way this is going, a lot of those other colors will become less and less recognizable. Well, they already are because they keep changing the uniforms. Well, like once, <laughs> I'll, give you the, I, I'll say with the, with the expanded college football playoff, uh-huh. uh, that will make Penn State extremely relevant again, more relevant, because they'll make that playoff more often than not. Because they're good enough to be 12, they're just not good enough right. to be 4. But, that, but that's okay, because it keeps you visible. Whereas Pitt will never make it, and then they will fade into obscurity even more so. Well, and th- the other point I was going to make about the transferring stuff, too, I always thought there was going to be a ripple effect to this, because what about the few kids who do actually stick around and see their... Why is it good that kids feel the need to vacate a school where they want to be because they thought there was a path to playing time and then it gets blocked? There was always going to be that ripple effect. There was always going to be that middle kid, that middle kid who probably is more likely to use the college education that he's allegedly there for in the first place, by the way. Tim, uh, one other Steeler thing I want to talk about. Were you surprised Marcus Allen didn't get cut? No. Well, that actually is phrased wrong. I'd cut him, but I knew Tomlin wouldn't. But but that was disgraceful. It, it gave Carolina first nine and a field goal. It sure was disgraceful. It was stupid. And I think Deontay Johnson getting up and celebrating was also pretty dumb. Uh, it was a lot more minor in the look of its offense, but it was still dumb. And, you know, I, I thought it was funny how Tomlin decided in the middle of his press conference to turn the whole thing around and make the media and the bad guys for asking oh, about it. Oh, the pound of flesh thing, yeah. Well, yeah. Tom was as big a douchebag as, as Marcus Allen. Well, I mean, the thing for Tomlin... You can tell Allen's one of his favorites. You could. Well, he has to be because he hasn't done anything for five years and he's still here. I mean, he hasn't played a defensive snap this year. He's as replaceable as you can get. If you're telling me that he can't be replaced because he's the up back on a punt... Oh, F that. For crying out loud, well, what if he gets hurt then? What if he breaks his and ankle? He's just, he's just a bad a guy. Hamstring. He's just a bad guy. He's the 53rd guy on a team. Uh, never plays a defensive snap. Pulls crap like that. Menaces the media. You know, does his music crap in the locker room. There's just no point to have anything there except Tomlin plays favorites. And it's clear to me when you get a response like that from Tomlin how much the outside noise is influencing his decision-making. Like, he wasn't going to cut Marcus Allen because we wanted him cut. Like, that was his thinking. That pound of flesh line reflects that and indicates that. I don't think he's going to cut him anyway, but yeah. He doesn't want to make it seem like he's being influenced by the media at all. But then again, look at how he handled the quarterback situation. He was steadfast and definitive, his words, in backing Mitch Trubisky, and then things didn't go well against the Jets well, he, in the next two quarters. He, and he, played, he played favorites there, too. He he likes Deontay Johnson, and Trubisky yelled back at Johnson. And, I, and I'm told, Tim, I didn't think that possibly could have been a factor in Trubisky being removed at halftime. I've, I've been told by a bunch of people that it, it was a factor. Then it also explains why he's talking about pound of flesh when it comes to the personal fouls, because, like I said before, Johnson was every bit as culpable for getting a flag and pushing them back in the red zone as what Allen did. Have you lost a lot of respect for Tomlin? I have. I mean, I I, I just don't believe a word he says. I think he's duplicitous. 
I, I think he's he's megalomaniacal. I just there's so much about him I do not like now. The tough guy football coach thing for me started to fade pretty quickly, especially around the mid Antonio Brown era. And I just thought he ain't a tough guy. If he was a tough guy, he would have played in the league. I just thought that was Antonio Brown. You got to manage him because he's so good, but he has marginalized that more and more and more every time since then. Whether it's Martavis, whether it's Marcus Allen, Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, uh, you know, he didn't even really go after Melvin Ingram on his way out or Legarrette Blunt on his way out. He let James Harrison, when he didn't matter, bully him around. There are multiple examples of less important players than Antonio Brown taking advantage of that situation just because Tomlin doesn't want to make it look like he's caving to media pressure to be hard on these guys. Have you noticed, like, among fans, like, people under 30 think Marcus Allen, you know, what he did was no big deal. And people above 30 want him cut. Have you noticed that? Like, like young people just don't want to have a boss. So they don't think Marcus Allen should have a boss either. They Nobody should ever judge them for anything. Whatever they do is fine. Right. They think he's like a rebel without a clue. If I can make a re- if I can make an excuse for my behavior, then it's okay because this is what I felt at the moment. And that's just, you know, the influence of Twitter on a generation that knows no life without it, as opposed to us when, when the world was much better. Tim, um, well, one last thing about about Franco and the Immaculate Reception. Uh, obviously, the Mazeroski home run is the rough equivalent of the Immaculate Reception for the Pirates. For did sure. The, did the Penguins have a rough equivalent? Are you talking about a singular moment on the field of play? Singular moment on the, on the field, yeah, on the rink. The closest thing is, is Flurry. The Flurry save. In Detroit, yeah. Yeah. Because that... Save, buzzer, championship. Yeah, ended the game, gave yeah. him a title. You know, the Immaculate Reception didn't do that. Didn't even get them the next win. It got them that win. But it was conclusive in and of itself. Because it was... It won a game. It not, well, not only did it win a game, it ended a franchise-long ineptitude streak of not being able to win a playoff game. That was. you know that was their first playoff touchdown? I heard you say that to in, in uh, him. Fir- in their first playoff game, I think it was 1947. It was like 21-3 to three or 21 something? 21-0. Oh, okay. 21-0. Right. So that was their first playoff touchdown. That's amazing. Ham yeah. brought up a good point, too. He he said that if if it had been another Raiders defensive back other than Jack Tatum, he wouldn't have tried to like you know blast Fuqua, which is what caused the ball to rebound. I think I've heard some Raiders say that too. Yeah, you know, and uh, maybe it was Villapiano that said that. I don't know, but I've I've heard some Raiders suggest that it was Tatum who just should have tackled the catch or made more of a play on the ball, or just knocked or, the ball down, or yeah, exactly, swatted at the ball. But it, it risked the pass interference penalty at the very worst. But very go- reminiscent of Vontez Burfecht and the hit on AB that, that gave that game away, that, that, that Bengals-Steelers playoff game. Yeah, that's a good call. I, I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, but yeah, uh, he was culpable as were a lot of people in that play from the Raiders' point of view. What is the second most significant Steeler moment after the Immaculate Reception? Santonio's catch. Think so? Yeah, either that or the Harrison return. What about Ben's tackle against the Colts? Yeah, that's good too. Uh, but I, I think that was um, you needed them to, you needed the other team to screw up after that. You know what's funny? Because Vander Jackson had to miss the field goal. Our drunken kicker. You know, you know what's funny is that Swan made so many good Super Bowl catches, it obscures any one of them. And the best catch was a big game, but not a touchdown. That was the, the Super Bowl ten catch got him out to the fifty yard line. Yeah, well, he he juggled the one to himself. He did the tiptoe on the sideline. He had the deep ball where Bradshaw got knocked out and he caught the touchdown. See, that was the third best catch that day, and it was the one that scored the touchdown. Exactly, Lynn, you were too good. <laughs>
All right, that's it for today's episode of the Mark Man Podcast here on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. And don't forget, don't forget, these are words to live by. Bet now from anywhere. I'll say it again, bet now from anywhere. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, betrivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.